Well, my buddy said, always says, we need to keep the main thing, the main thing. And the main thing is Jesus Christ. And the author of Acts, he's done exactly that. He's kept the main thing as Jesus Christ. I've enjoyed my time learning and studying from the minor prophet of Habakkuk, and I hope that you have enjoyed your time as well in that book. But I'm beyond excited about our new adventure as we dig into the book of Acts. There are 28 chapters in the book of Acts, 1,007 verses. Book of Acts is, is actually a volume two. Volume one was the Gospel of Luke. Gospel of Luke had 1,100 verses in it on its own. The author of both of these books is believed to be the physician named Luke. He never identifies himself in either of the books officially, but we gather that from several different verses. We, we believe uh, he was a, uh, a strong companion of Paul's. Colossians 4.14 says, Luke, the beloved physician, greets you. In Philemon, verse 24, it says, And so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. Then we see in 2 Timothy 4.11, Paul says, Luke alone is with me. You connect these, all these verses that are found uh, in Acts and where the author includes himself in the story. There are times where the author actually includes himself in, in the form of pronouns. Acts 16.10, for example. When Paul had seen a vision, immediately we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. He continues that in, in verse 17. The author does the same thing in, in Acts 20, 5 through 15, 21, 1 through 18, and in chapters 27 and 28, where he's using those pronouns. Most likely, the book was written in the, in the middle to late 60s. We see through the, through the book, he talks a lot about Paul's journeys, the book of Acts, but he never talks about Paul's death. So he stops prior to that. In fact, the last two verses of Acts, Acts 28, verses 30 through 31, here's what it says. He lived there, speaking of Paul, he lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Some say this is a narrative written to a single person. Luke 1, 1 through 4, going back to the first volume, it says, Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, again, he's using us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus that you may have certainty concerning the things that have been taught, 
Then you go to Acts, which we're studying now, the second volume, Acts 1.1 says, In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. We don't know who Theophilus is. We really don't. He could be, some argue that he's a major donor to Paul and Luke for their ministry. Others say he's a high priest. Some say he, they believe he might be a lawyer for Paul, for the Romans, and Luke is writing these accounts as a legal brief. I'd say the majority of commentators that I read concluded that Theophilus was just a high-ranking Gentile officer that Luke wanted to strongly influence about the historical and accurate account of the life, the death, the resurrection, the ascension, and, and then the spread of, of the gospel, spread of Jesus Christ, of Christianity throughout the Roman Empire. I'd argue that the letter is, is not to Theophilus. I'd argue that it was to him but the intention was for an entire audience, a large audience, primarily Gentiles, people that weren't Jew. That that was why he wrote these two volumes. However, we see that between Luke and Acts, that Luke quotes Old Testament almost 20 times. So his audience definitely has a grasp for the Old Testament. Based on, on the way he writes, they're probably God-fearing people. But they needed to know more about who Jesus was and what he did, and they needed to strengthen and confirm their faith. Luke 1.4 says that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. So they had been taught a whole bunch of stuff. But they really wanted to hammer this home. Here's what one author said about the two volumes. He said, Luke aims to describe the powerful work of Jesus the Messiah, whose death and resurrection usher in a new era in salvation history, an era that witnesses the powerful work of the gospel of both Jewish and Gentile soil. Through this lens, one is able to read the his, this historical work as theologically meaningful, as Luke is not content with the mere reproduction of historical records, but is also presenting such material as a way to explain the powerful work of God in history. Wow. So we're going to spend 15 weeks, 15 weeks digging into the book of Acts, all the way up to Christmas. Can you believe that Christmas is that close? Christmas is 16 weeks from now. Just uh, letting you know that. We're going to get through the first eight books. Then we're going to take a, a hiatus. We'll pick it back up in the second week of March, I believe it is, and, and we'll move through all the way through Acts chapter 12. We'll then take another hiatus and pick it back up either in later 2018 or in 2019. We're planning ahead. So you're in the know. You understand where we're at, why we got here, what we're about to do. If you would join me in standing, I'm going to read the first five verses of the book of Acts. This is Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. 
In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. Verse 4. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which, he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Heavenly Father, it's to you we give all the glory. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for coming into our lives and, and for causing us to be effective in sharing your gospel. We ask that you teach us today that it's not from me, but it's from you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. Well, our focus must remain on Jesus. It must remain on Jesus. And that's exactly what Luke has done here in this volume. In volume two, he puts the focus right back on Jesus. You see, Luke, he's been serving with Paul. He's been serving alongside Paul, and, and, and he has spoken to the disciples. He's, he's interviewed eyewitnesses to what has happened. He's been very, very careful with his study and his understanding. And now he has a message to share. He has a message to share. And I'd say that when we are trying to keep the main thing the main thing, the message needs to be focused on two things. It needs to be focused on Jesus, and it needs to be focused on others. Focus on Jesus and focus on others. With the exception of the verses that I already commented about, where Luke uses pronouns, everything is focused about Jesus and about the salvation of others and how Jesus has affected them and, and what Jesus is doing through them, what the Holy Spirit is actually guiding them and, and, and creating in them. Many of us, we sit back and we focus in on ourselves. We say, whoa, am I? This is so hard. This work is too difficult. This life is too, too much. I can't do it anymore. And that's, that's the wrong focus. We need, to, we need to turn it around and say, what can God do in this situation? Because God can do whatever through you, wherever you're at, with whatever you're doing. You see, Luke's doing what he can to promote the work of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, to instill confidence and security that we have in the risen Savior, Jesus Christ. That's Luke's whole goal. He points back to Jesus and all that he had done to begin to do and to teach. I like the way he says that. And all that Jesus had begun to do. Because Jesus has so much more that he wants to accomplish. He said, I have to leave so he can come. Speaking of the Holy Spirit, because there's so much more to accomplish. So many more people that need to hear who Jesus is. To need to know his love and his compassion and his forgiveness. 
Luke's given credibility to the apostles. He's given credibility because he's saying that they were being led by the Holy Spirit. You see, he wants to make sure that everyone, you'll see this in, in the book of Acts, everyone was assured that it was true that Jesus was resurrected. We just read that. They all could see Jesus for 40 days at different times, that he was resurrected, that it was real. He wants to convince them, prove that, offer more convincing. People can go and ask about that. Verse 3 said he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. You see, they got to see Jesus Christ. We get the blessing of believing without seeing. And they had the blessing of believing while seeing. You see, our message needs to be focused on who God is and what he has done. 80% of the United States proclaim that they're Christians. A majority of those people don't know Jesus. And if they think they know Jesus, they don't know him personally. The message needs to be taken to our neighbors, needs to be shared with people around us. Romans 1.16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. We are to tell the world about Jesus. We have a message to share, just like Luke had a message to share. We're not sent to try and impress the world with our great grasp of theology. Many people know theories of theology, different theories, but they don't know Jesus. Many people know all about the glories of heaven, but they're heading to hell. As one beggar telling another beggar where bread is, we need to be telling people where the bread of life is. We need to be pointing them to Jesus. And we have a message to share. How do you share your message about Jesus Christ to others? How are you doing it? What, what, what are you doing? Do you just hope that people see you? See your life at work? Ah, that's a nice guy. Man, he's a nice guy. He never even swears. Ah, he must love Jesus. Now I'm going to give my life to Jesus. Oftentimes, most times, it doesn't work out that way. It's great to reflect the life and the love of Jesus Christ, but we need to be willing to share the message in real ways. We need to be able to write people messages, email, text them, talk to them, sit with them, have coffee with them, spend time with them, serve them. Our message needs to jive with our beliefs, and we must share it. You know, not all of us are physicians like Luke. Luke had a masterful ability to write with his pen. He had a masterful ability to, to really get a message across very accurately. Some of us struggle with that. But you know what? God has given us the ability to love others, to care about them. We, we talked about that going down to Houston and serving. That's just one of 
a, a thousand different ways, if not a million different ways, that we can share the love of Jesus Christ. We need to point people to Christ and, 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 and point people to say, it's all about Jesus. I'm only doing this because I love Jesus, and now I love you. We know how to love because Jesus loved us. Well, we need a method of our sharing. We need a method of our sharing. Luke used, like I said, the power of his pen. That's how he shared uh, a, a large portion. Through his life, though, Luke used many other methods, many different methods he used. He, he had a message about Jesus Christ, and he went and served alongside Paul. And he, and he shared encouragement with others. No doubt he listened to testimonies of, of people who loved Jesus. And then he shared those stories. I thought about the encouragement that Luke must have had with Paul. He must have been a tremendous encourager in Jesus Christ. You guys remember in 2 Corinthians, Paul said, Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Luke, the physician, was by his side. Many of those times offering encouragement, I would assume, based on what we read, he was there to, to mend them and to help them and to love them. That's sharing all about your love with Christ to somebody else. That's committing yourself. And then you use that and people are watching. People are seeing that. Like Luke, we also need several ways that we could share our message, share the gospel with people. Sometimes it happens through individual relationship building. Individual relationship building. Perhaps probably the best way of, of ever sharing the gospel is through individual relationship building we see that over and over it's the best way that we see jesus christ actually changing people's lives in his example it's definitely the best way that you can invite somebody to church through individual relationship building somebody once said there can be no discipleship without relationship there can be no discipleship without relationship. Jesus was extremely intentional about building relationships with his followers. And they were essential. These relationships were absolutely essential. And it influence allowed Jesus to develop those who followed him into productive disciples who, in turn, would spend their lives investing in others as well. I think of a guy named Doug. I met Doug Hodges at Northern Illinois University in 1996. We were both physical education majors. And Doug uh, and I, we, we got paired up to team teach. And we both were kind of like-minded. We were both kind of loud and happy and uh, excited. And, and we could gain people's attention on the field. And, and get them to do whatever activity we wanted them to do in, in an orderly way. Doug and I would laugh at similar jokes and, 
and uh, we were similar heights, and, and we enjoyed having a burger at McDonald's at times. There was something that Doug and I weren't similar about, and that was our love for Jesus Christ. You see, Doug didn't know who Jesus Christ was. And Doug and I, we continued our relationship. And, and as we grew in our relationship, I did not share Jesus Christ with him. But I continued to pray for God to show me the right time to intentionally speak about who Jesus Christ was. While we were doing life together, at one point I was going to NIU. I was always commuting from Newark. I went there six days a week at one semester. We spent a lot of classes together. And he would see me witness and share Jesus' love to all kinds of different people. Strangers. People that him and I both knew. But I didn't share with him directly. I just continued to love him. I didn't know why, but I was asking the Holy Spirit to guide the conversation. I built a relationship. In the fall of 1998, I remember I was walking out the doors of, of the physical education building. And there was Doug sitting on the bench right before the parking lot. I sat down next to him, talked for a while, and he started asking me all kinds of questions about who Jesus was and, and what in the world was I doing and, and why am I so different. And I just shared. You see, I had a message to share with Doug. At that time, Doug gave his life to Jesus Christ. It wasn't until yesterday that I tracked Doug down. You see, kids, there was, there, I didn't have a cell phone back then. I didn't have an email address. I might have, NIU email, I, I guess. I don't remember. Got a Hotmail address in 1999, I remember. BillSherry97 at Hotmail.com. That was my first real email address. So I lost communication with Doug Hodges. But you know what? I had a message to share. I shared it with a lot of different people at NIU, but I built a relationship with Doug. And I shared it with him because it was an opportunity where there was trust built. There was lots of trust. Individual relationship building is absolutely crucial. It's crucial for us here at the Creek. You have to believe that that individual relationship building is crucial. If you're going to invite somebody to come with you to church, if you're going to invite someone to come with you uh, to the barn bash, if you want to invite someone to the barn bash, we'll, we'll take care of the cost. We'll, we'll figure that out. Use it as an opportunity to share your love for them. You don't ever have to talk about Jesus Christ. I'm not telling you to go against the Holy Spirit. Allow him to guide. But build relationships. When you build the trust, you can invite. That's what we do with the kids. With our youth group. We try to have them build relationships with kids at school and invite them to youth group. Because it's easy. That's why we always do it at Easter. It's easy. Ah, come to church. Everyone wants to go to church on Easter. 
Mother's Day, any of those events. That's why our churches start getting bigger during those holidays, because it's easier to invite. Build the relationships with your neighbors. Love on them. You know, I read books like How to Win Friends and Influence People, Dale Carnegie, because I care about building relationships. I read a lot of books about friend-making and, and developing uh, relationships with others. They don't have to be Christian. Examine them through, the, through your lens of Christianity and understand what they're trying to say, that you can impact people's lives. That's what Sherry, my wife, has been doing for years with her business. She's been building relationships with individuals, building trust. Julie, she's doing that currently with a lot of different foreigners that are in the country. People that she's teaching, people that she's working alongside. And it's given her opportunities to invite, to welcome, and to share your message, which is the gospel. That's, that's what Luke is trying to do here. Luke's trying to, trying to, hey, here's a message. This is the message I learned. I want to share it with you, Theophilus, and other people. Now go, keep sharing this on. And that's what we need to do. 1 Peter 3.15 says, 1 Peter 3.15, But in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. I know so much more about Jesus Christ than I did today, than I did in 1998, sitting with Doug Hodges. But you know what I did know? In 1998, I knew that Jesus Christ loved me so much that he died for me. I knew that he forgave me, that he gave me a new life. And I wanted to share that. That's all you have to know. If you are in love with Jesus Christ and you know what he has done for you, you know the forgiveness he has given you, that's all you have to share. And the rest becomes, hey, let's figure it out together if you don't know the answer. Well, sometimes our method of sharing our message needs to be done through small group gathering. Small group gathering. Of course, pastor's going to share about small groups. We do have a small group, by the way, on Wednesday nights here at the church, 6.30 p.m., and it is a great night of, of uh, digging into God's word, fellowship, prayer, enjoying food. But it is important. Jesus, he built individual relationships, but he also built small group relationships. We see that with the 12 disciples, the 12 apostles. And then he moved it into the three, where he really developed them into a different level. As moms and dads, we need to do this with our children. As grandmas and grandpas, you need to do it with your grandchildren. Bring them together in a small group and share the good news. Share your message. Sherry and I, when we were first married, we had a small group of kids come to our home every single Sunday for about three years. It probably grew to about 30-plus kids at one point. We built relationships through serving the community at camps, as coaches, just working with uh, different uh, things at the school. It brought a lot of trust with the families. And those kids started coming to our house, and we fed them, 
We entertained them. And we trained them. Many of those kids have grown up to know Jesus Christ as their personal Savior and are serving Him in, in whatever they're doing. I'm not saying that's, that was from us. But God allowed Sherry and I to use our home and our time to gather as a group so we could share the message. It's not us. It's God. God is the one who does the work. We could probably talk for a while about how Peter, how he brought a, a group together, somewhat of a large group. At Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, we'll get to there. Peter ended the message. Here's what he said at the end of the message. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. He spoke many other words, and then in, in verse 41, here's what it said. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. I'd say the method worked. I'd say it was productive, not because of Peter, though, but because of the Holy Spirit's work and the work that Jesus had had done in the training of Peter and the other apostles. You have to remember that in your message, you have a message, but it's not your message. You're just a messenger. It's like the UPS person bringing in a package. It's not their package. It's from somebody else. They're just delivering it. Our message is God's message, and we are just called to share it with other people, to deliver it, a method that is crucial is to heed to the prompting of the Holy Spirit. Heed to the prompting of the Holy Spirit. And if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, if you love Jesus Christ and you spend time in prayer and you ask God, please give me opportunities to share your message, I promise you that God will use you in a variety of ways. The Holy Spirit will prompt you. A friend of mine who used to attend Village Bible in Sugar Grove shared a story on Facebook a few days ago. His name's Russell Avery, now serves as the student ministry director at Crossroads Community Church. Basically, he was at Walmart. He was on vacation. He's at Walmart, and he, and he goes and buys a, a, a media card. I think he said a, a media card. That's a long one. He must have a Sony or something. And so he... A memory stick, he said. And, and, and he, he bought that memory stick. He, he asked the guy in the electronics department, hey, can I buy it here? Electronics guy, he's like, oh, oh, okay. And so he goes and purchases it. You guys have probably done that, where you buy it in the electronics department. And, and the guy was strange. Like, he didn't want to look at him. He was scared of his own shadow. And so Russell, if you know him, he's kind of loud and wants to talk and uh, very, very friendly great guy, and, and, and just starts digging in, trying to have a conversation with him. And, and the guy starts talking back a little bit about, oh, you're on vacation? Oh, okay. And so he purchases, and he finalizes it, and Russell says, for some random reason, I shake his hand after I got done purchasing. He goes, I never shake somebody's hand at the cash register. Hey, thanks. Have a good day. 
So, so they departed, and as Russell was walking away, the Holy Spirit grabbed him and said, you need to go back to him and talk to him about, about me. Russell didn't want to, but he heeded the prompting of the Holy Spirit and went back and, and said, hey, well, so uh, I work at a church and wondering, where do you go to church? And the guy looked at him strangely, like Russell had three eyes. And he goes, we can't talk about that here. And Russell's like, okay, well, I'll be praying for you. Have a good day. And Russell walked away. Nothing spectacular happened. Nothing at all. Russell, he didn't start speaking in tongues to the guy. That guy right there in the electronics department at that Walmart did not give his life to Jesus Christ. Russell may never see him again. But you know what? Russell heeded the prompting of the Holy Spirit. You guys remember the story uh, of me up at NIU with the skater guys? I, was, I had Bibles in my car. I see these skater guys. The Holy Spirit, you need to go give them a Bible. Okay. I grab a Bible. It was at McDonald's. I offer it through them in the cage where they're at the exterior playground, and they just laugh at me. I walk back, set the Bible down in my Chevy Lumina, continue to enjoy some moody radio probably, eat my McDonald's, and here comes the skater guys walking right past my passenger side. As the fifth or sixth guy, whatever it was, the last guy in the, in the bunch passes and gets to my front tire, he backs up and says, sir, can I have that Bible? I don't know what happened with that heeded the prompting of the Holy Spirit. You probably have tons of stories where you have heeded the prompting of the Holy Spirit. And maybe, maybe we all have a lot of stories where we were prompted and we denied it. I remember Molly and Reggie, I think it was, we were in Indiana. We came from the Walmart and we're driving to go back towards our house and we see this homeless guy and the Holy Spirit's overwhelming me that I need to go back and, and take him to lunch what in the world I didn't, I didn't do anything I started driving back and finally I turned around I got halfway back and Molly and I think Reggie were with me and, and then we couldn't find him we couldn't find him I don't know what ever happened. We never did find him. I was hesitant to go with the heating. The Holy Spirit frequently calls us to do things that are above us, that are out of our comfort zone, out of our wheelhouse, some might say. But we need to listen to God. I think of Philip in the Ethiopian in Acts 8. He was prompted by the Holy Spirit to go and find this Ethiopian who is along his way. And he walked up to the Ethiopian in, in his carriage or whatever and, and walks up there and he's reading the Old Testament. 
Philip then shares the good news. And the Ethiopian gives his life and, and is baptized right then, heeding the Holy Spirit. One of the methods that we can use to share the gospel is by living a God-honoring life. In fact, it's, it's absolutely essential. It's essential, especially if we're going to go and we want to hear the prompting from the Holy Spirit. You see, when you live a life that is God-honoring, people are watching. In fact, people are watching probably to see you fall on your face. They like watching you fall on their face when you proclaim that you are a Christian. But those are the, some of the greatest times that we have to proclaim the grace that Jesus offers. In the times we fall and fail, so many times we see that those are the greatest opportunities to really share the gospel. Not that you do it intentionally, but we are weak. That's why we rely on Christ. Jesus taught his disciples for three years. Really trained them. But he knew they weren't ready. They weren't ready. So after his resurrection, it says, before his ascension, he continued to teach and to command them and how they should work and how, what they should do. He knew that they weren't going to be perfect, but they needed to be willing to die for him. They needed to live a life that was truly God-honoring. Because if they're willing to die for him, then his message could be duplicated, replicated across the nations. You know, these people, these apostles, they weren't worried about their lives. They wanted to shout the name of Jesus from the rooftops. We see that over and over. We can't stop talking. I'm sorry, we can't stop talking. Put us in jail. Kill us. We can't stop telling you what we know is true. They had a message to share. They were listening for the prompting of the Holy Spirit. They were gathering as small groups. They were getting together as individuals, sharing the gospel, spending time with people in their homes. And as they shared, more people would commit their life to Jesus, and then those people would share. We must be like Paul when he spoke to King Agrippa. Our goal must be to defend the gospel at all costs. At all costs. We are to spread the message that we have been given to everyone who's willing to hear. That's why we do what we do. That's why we're all all over the place. Not just meeting together, not just secluding ourselves from the world. We are all over the place. This is not a Christianity bubble. Our job is to be outside sharing the good news with people everywhere. But our last point, we must have a willingness to wait on the Lord. We must have a willingness to wait on the Lord. This had to be one of the hardest things ever for the apostles. Verses 4 and 5, they talk, it talks about it. it. tells us how Lord Jesus instructed the apostles 
to not act on their excitement, to not act on their love and their passion that they had for their Savior, but instead, wait. Wait. Listen to this. Acts 1, 4 through 5. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Well, just like the apostles, our trust must be in the promises of the Father. They must be in the promises of the Father. I like the way John 14 puts it. John 14, verses 15 through 17. Here's what it says. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, capital H, to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. What a beautiful promise that we get from the Father. Our Father has made us many promises. Deuteronomy 31.6 says, Be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread of them. For it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Psalm 37.28 says, For the Lord loves justice. He will not forsake his saints. They are preserved forever. But the children of the wicked shall be cut off. 1 Corinthians 10.13 No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation he will also provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Our God has given us many promises. We also must put our trust in the guidance provided by the Holy Spirit. Our guidance provided by the Holy Spirit, verse 5 says once again, For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. This was a huge deal. As you probably know, it's a huge deal. The apostles realized and understood who the Holy Spirit was. They knew Jesus was God. They knew the Holy Spirit was God. But their understanding came from the Old Testament also along with the teaching of Jesus. But in the Old Testament, we see that the Holy Spirit was given selectively and temporarily. The Holy Spirit would indwell in certain people. We saw in 1 Samuel how, how the Holy Spirit rushed into Saul, the soon-to-be king. Not many chapters after that, we saw the Holy Spirit leave Saul and go into the future king, David. David says in Psalm 51, 11, Cast me not away from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. He had watched the Holy Spirit go into Saul, or he, he knew it was in Saul, and he saw it leave Saul. And he knew the Holy Spirit came into him. That's why John 14 is so powerful. Think of these words. Jesus explained that the Spirit would dwell with you and in 
you. See, God seals his followers with the Spirit. And the seal, it shall be with us until the day of redemption. Romans 8, 9 says, You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. Once the Spirit dwells in you, he never departs. He never departs like he did with Saul. We must understand we must understand that the Holy Spirit is with us in order for us to carry the message appropriately so we could share this message with confidence, knowing that, as the good Dr. Luke said in Luke 12, 12, the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. Step one, trust in Jesus Christ. Trust that... that that he has given his life for you. Trust in his life, his ministry, his death, his resurrection, his ascension. Trust in Jesus Christ. Step two, learn more from Scripture. Dig into Scripture. Learn from other believers. Be ready in season, out of season, with the good news, with a great message of Jesus Christ. Step three, wait on the Lord. Wait on the Lord, trust that the Holy Spirit will give you opportunities to share this message. And step four, heed the Holy Spirit and watch for God to do the work.